educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm, live from Cedar College, Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Welcome everyone live from Cedar College from Melbourne, Australia. Today you're listening to the Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Hussain Kadua and I'm joined by co-host Tara, Molly, Lara, Elijah, Noah and Mespa. And our special guest today is Maria. Hi, Marie. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. So, Maria, what or who inspired you to take on cancelling as a full-time job? I think there was not a person specifically who inspired me to become a counsellor. I think uh, from a very young age, just at school, we had a lot of volunteer work and I just loved being helping people so from a very young age i reckon maybe when i was in primary school we would go to other schools and we would help older kids and i was just very happy helping so when i started later in life looking at what do i want to do i realized oh counseling it's it's a job that i would love to to pursue so um you said that from school you loved helping uh younger younger people and people also older than you so uh, from the start, what was your dream job? Uh, I think I did not have a specific dream job that I wanted to do. Uh, but later when I started to research with university, like what options and what sort of jobs were available when you would be helping people, one of them was counseling. Uh, I even consider maybe teaching, but then I end up, you know, going into the counseling space. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are the signs of gambling addiction? Um, the signs of gambling addiction. I think when we start to talk about gambling problem, you should uh, identify it. It's not a black and white thing. So it's not like, oh, you have a gambling problem or you do not have a gambling problem. You should look at it in a gradual way. So when we think about it like that, uh, in the low harm, people would start gambling, but they would not do it uh, as a coping strategy. So it wouldn't be to feel better, uh, but it would be more for entertainment or to socialize. Um, And then later, people start to move to moderate harm. So that's when you start to see, I guess, the early signs of gambling problem. And that's maybe when people start to spend much more money than they were doing at the start. They probably start to spend more time gambling as well. Maybe they start to neglect work, uh, study, uh, friends. So they start to isolate themselves and maybe they find themselves now going alone to to gambling venues or even online as well. Uh, And then later when it's severe, so that's, I guess, when someone has developed the gambling addiction, uh, the the harm is, is major where they are in debt, uh, they need to, um, you know, they they really are struggling in all sense of their life, including perhaps like with housing situation, maybe they can become homeless as well. Um, yeah. Maria, this is Mesper talking now. Um, how can a family member spot early signs of gambling? I think that's a great question. Um, for a family member to spot the, the early signs, uh, you know, when someone starts to, a lot of people think that an early sign is the financial part when they are struggling financially. And the problem with that perspective is that maybe we can miss other signs that are really important. So for example, mood swings, uh, or when someone doesn't come from work or they said to you, oh, I'm gonna be here, but maybe they they 
then they are not where they were supposed to be. And then you start to realize, oh, this story is not matching. So uh, you start to identify that maybe they are lying or they are not as, um, you know, they start to be absent. And, and you start to see these changes from the way that they used to behave and the way that you used to relate to them from the way that now you're relating to them. Um, I'm Elijah. Um, why do people get addicted to gambling and what is the best advice for people with a gambling addiction? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think about alcohol or, or drugs, uh, it's easier to identify or to understand why do people get addicted to alcohol or to to substances um but i think the main thing that research has now found is that gambling can impact or change the way your brain works and actually that's one of the main common things of addiction so when someone engages with gambling uh, we have this chemical in our brain that is called dopamine and it's a happy chemical. So it's the chemical that when you do something uh, that is an achievement, so for example, when you're playing a sport and then you score a goal, your brain releases dopamine because you're like, yeah, I'm doing great. Like, keep practicing. But I guess the issue with gambling, the gambling industry realized, oh, this chemical, you know, we, we can make a lot of things with this chemical. Uh, so gambling creates the same effect and now when people engage with gambling, they are releasing dopamine. But the difference is that gambling doesn't necessarily is a skill like playing a sport or, you know, playing the guitar or, you know, doing something that is actually, you know, a sense of achievement. So the brain has a lot to do with it, why people get addicted to it. And in terms of advice, um, I think I would say to anyone that... Um, seek help, you know, go and reach to anyone that you feel safe. It doesn't necessarily has to be a professional like a counselor like me, just anyone that you feel like um, they they care for you and that you would be safe to approach and say, you know, I'm struggling and I think I need help. I think that's, that's the first step um, for everyone that is struggling with gambling. And also, uh, do not wait until it's severe harm. So do it, you know, reach for help um, in the first stages. And by saying that, um, I want to acknowledge that anyone can change at any point. So even when they're in the low harm, moderate harm or severe harm, anyone can change. I guess from my experience, I have been very lucky to witness a lot of um, hope and a lot of clients that have come, you know, from uh, moderate, you know, harm from severe harm to having a life free of gambling harm. So, yeah. Um, I'm Lara. Do you see yourself continuing this career for a much longer period of time? Yes, I do. I love what I do. Um, and I think that it, it's so rewarding to, there's, there's a lot of challenges, but it's so rewarding when you see that, you know, people can change their life and, I just become a witness of, of that. So. I'm Molly. Does hearing people's experiences affect your own mental health? That, that's an amazing question for anyone who works in the health sector. Um, I think uh, hearing other people's experiences uh, can be challenging. So that's why it's so important 
uh, professionals in the mental health sector to also look after themselves. So self-care is extremely important. Um, so for that, I do um, consciously many decisions to look after myself, uh, even sometimes having a day off from work, you know, to, to have a rest um, and also clinical supervision. So I often have conversations with uh, another professional about my clients, uh, which my clients are aware of and how to support them better. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's really important counselors and anyone working in the health sector to look after themselves. I like the metaphor of the cup. Like if you're going to be pouring, you know, water from your cup, you need to be filling out your own cup to be able to do that. I'm Tara. And what would you say your biggest achievement has been with your like counseling career path? Mm, wow. That's, that's a hard question. What's my biggest achievement? Um, I think when I started working at the Gambler's Help Program, um, it was, um, you know, a, a while ago, and I was not very aware at that time. Like I was, I, I had experience in counseling, but I wasn't aware as much of the gambling harm. Um, so I think my biggest achievement has been to become more aware of gambling harm and also becoming aware of being humble that um, my clients have a lot of expertise of what works for them and what doesn't work for them in order to help them to achieve their goals, whether it is to stop gambling or whether it is to reduce their the gambling. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Gambling Hub podcast on Live FM, live from Cedar College in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Hussain Kadua and today I'm joined by my co-host, Tara, Molly, Lara, Elijah, Noah, and Mespa, and also a special guest for today, Maria. So, Maria, um, talking about your clients, do some people recover quicker from gambling than others? And if so, how is the first session different to the ones that come after? Mm, that's a really good question. I think recovery is something so particular to anyone. Um, I think something that... Uh, has a lot of impact uh, is one, um, the readiness for change of the person. So sometimes I would have clients that they are um, ready for change uh, and everyone. So there's usually six stages of change. The first one is pre-contemplation when someone is not aware that they have a problem. Then there is contemplation when someone becomes aware there's a problem, but there's no, they're not ready to commit. And then there is uh, the next stage that is preparation. So that's when someone it's become aware of the problem and now they're ready to, you know, to start to prepare themselves. That could be calling gamblers helpline, maybe sharing with their family. So it really depends how fast, um, I guess they recover uh, on on where they are at that moment. So when someone is prepared, maybe they would straight away go into action uh, to you know put more tools in place to make sure that they achieve their goals. But saying that, I think it's also important. Uh, another aspect is their environment. So what protective factors they have around. So if they have family members and friends that support them, uh, if they have uh, maybe work that support them as well in that journey, 
Um, so yeah, so it's it's honestly uh, such a particular thing to say. I wouldn't say, you know, if someone has gone through these, they're going to be faster than the other ones. It just, um, yeah, depends on, on each person and on their uh, own tools that they have and their level of readiness for change. Um, even let's say someone is uh, dug deep into gambling, how is your approach towards them? So do they go from gambling to not gambling or do they slowly, slowly mm. approach it? Well, I use a person-centered approach. So what does that mean? Basically is that I, um, I help my clients to guide their own healing journey. So I cannot tell my clients, oh, this is going to be your healing journey. So it really depends on what they would like to do and then we would explore the options so and also with that question it's really important to know that we support people with either if they want to stop gambling for you know completely or if they want to reduce gambling so it, it really depends on them and it really depends of let's say they just want to reduce it what um do they feel comfortable with to to do uh because at the end of the day you know change it's coming it's going to come from them for from what they they want to you know to achieve yeah um maria what does the counseling process look like and if someone were to have a gambling addiction and they were to come to you would they be comfortable going through the process mm, that's a great question um well counseling you know uh there's a lot of i guess um a stigma out there about you know what counseling looks like but it, it is you know Usually, in my experiences, it's a room where um, you have myself as the counselor or, you know, another counselor, and then the person would come in and we would start first by getting to know each other. So I would say maybe between the first and third session, it will be all about getting to know the person and getting to know their story. And then later we start to explore, okay, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve? Uh, but also, what strategies have you already used? Um, what is not working? Uh, and maybe what it's working, because a lot of people already know, you know, this has been working for me. I want to use it again, uh, this tool. And then after that, it would be a lot of, I think, um, psychoeducation about coping strategies, uh, emotions, uh, your thoughts, like how you, the way you think affects how you behave. Uh, and then later on so at the start we would probably have sessions more often so maybe it would be once a week and then eventually uh, i always said to all my clients counseling our goal is that it becomes redundant that you are able to find those tools that you're getting here out in the world so that you become more independent so then the aim is that the sessions start to reduce like the the regularity between them so it would go maybe every two weeks now, and let's do now every month. So I have, for example, clients that maybe I would see them once every three months or once every six months. And these clients would be people who are now in this in the last stage of change, which is maintenance, where they have maintained their goal and their behavior for a long period of time where they feel confident to you know, not have sessions as often. Yeah. When someone comes to see you, how does confidentiality work? That's an amazing question. Um, a lot of times when people call, you know, Gambler's Helpline or the Gambler's Help at IPC Health, uh, they are concerned about 
who is gonna see this information? Is anyone gonna know that I'm calling you? And this has to be with that sometimes people, when they call, no one else knows about their problem. Um, so we take confidentiality very seriously. Uh, any counseling service uh, would have a consent form. So every time people come to us at the start, we would go together through a document that is the consent form. And we would explain to them how everything they discuss with us is confidential. There's usually three reasons why we would be disclosing without their permission, but it pretty much it's about um, the person being in danger or someone else is being in danger. So we have a duty of care to, you know, to make sure that the person is safe. Uh, but besides that or any legal requirements that by law, we would have to disclose information. Uh, besides that, everything that is discussed is confidential and only people supporting the client um, would be having access to their file. And also some people, even if they don't want to give us their full name, they can do that. So we can have them as anonymous and we can still provide the support without them giving us their name, which a lot of people are very glad about it because maybe at the start they're not ready yet to share it with anyone else. Yeah, how fast can people get, become addicted to gambling? How fast? Well, um, I think similar to the question of recovery, of like how fast is recovery, it would be, it's very different to anyone from what, you know, my clients has have explained to me from their experience. Um, sometimes some people would be gambling for a very early age uh, and uh, perhaps there was a specific trigger. So something vulnerable happened in their life. So, for example, they lost someone that was very important to them. And then very quickly, that gambling that they were engaging with that was in the low harm uh, becomes severe or moderate harm. Uh, but there will be other times where it's more gradual, uh, where people would be engaging with gambling for many years. And then eventually, gradually, they notice that because they didn't have any limits, it started to increase and increase. So it, it really depends of each person's um, story. Um, if there's something I have learned from all, you know, my clients' stories, they, you know, they also told me a lot, um, is that everyone is different and everyone's journey uh, of how they develop a gambling problem, but also how they can change, you know, their, their, how their brain works, how they can recover its... Um, very specific to them yeah um how do people get referred in contact um when they want to crown kick how do people get to get referred or get in contact with you when they want to quit the gambling so um people can call the gambler's helpline so the gambler's helpline is 24 7 so 1-800-858 a five eight, uh, they would be connected straight away to counselors. Uh, it would be non-judgmental, and they can quickly be referred to their local gamblers' help. So there's many gamblers' help uh, around in in Melbourne. So IPC Health we cover the west. So if someone was to call gamblers' helpline and they're based in the north, then they would get them linked to the gambler's help that is based in the north. So it's very easy just calling the gambler's helpline. But if someone wants to, they already know IPC Health is my gambler's help 
like my local gamblers help, they can contact um, our reception at IPC Health and then they can uh, be linked to us. Uh, and usually in that first phone call, we are aware that people uh, may be, you know, in a very, you know, um, scary place. Perhaps they have never get, you know, called. So we would be very uh, welcoming and, you know, acknowledge that big step of, you know, calling and getting help. Is there a difference between the advice you give to someone with gambling problems than with people, the families of the person with gambling problems? Um, yeah, I guess the, you know, therapy um, would be different in the sense that when I'm supporting someone with a, a gambling problem, it would be about uh, a lot about uh, how do I... Uh, you know, stop or reduce the gambling and what other alternative activities I can put in place to um, replace, I guess, the the problem, yeah? Uh, and then someone we, like a, a family member or a friend affected by someone else's gambling, uh, a lot of times what happened with family and friends is that the whole attention of their life has become the person with the gambling problem. So a lot of times it would be about putting back that attention onto them. So as I was saying before, you know, you need to have your cup full to be able to support someone, you know, so if you're going to pour some water. Um, So it would be a lot about uh, that person reconnecting with their own self-care and then also learning tools to how to support someone with a gambling problem and also to um, realize that change. Uh, a lot of times family feel responsible and they want to fix that person. But a lot of times it would be about stepping back and, um, you know, giving information to the person. But at the end of the day, who, the person who needs to, you know, who, who needs to want to change is the the person with the gambling problem. So uh, our family and friends can feel very helpless. So we we can give them that space in the counseling sessions for them to, you know, reconnect with them. And yeah. Um, For those that are going through a gambling problem or surrounded by gamblers, what do you guys as the IPC, was it? (laughs) What do you guys provide to those uh, people? Oh, yeah. So we have a lot of services um, at the Gambler's Help. So one of them is counseling, uh, like myself, but also, uh, and I should say all our services are for free. Uh, The other service that we got is financial counseling. So if someone is struggling financially and if they have debts, they can come to to talk to one of our financial counselors to give them uh, information and advice about that. Uh, But also... Someone doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, having a financial difficulties. Uh, we have sometimes clients that would see a financial counselor to put practical strategies in place to prevent that they later become, you know, have a financial problem. So the financial counselor will help them calling the banks or calling financial institutions and advocating uh, for them. And then we also have community uh, engagement 
workers, uh, where they go to um, services and schools to raise awareness about gambling harm. And we also have venue support workers. So the venue support workers, they go to gambling venues and then they you know, provide information to make sure that the staff um, that works in the venues, you know, they can recognize someone with a gambling problem and then maybe refer them to, to us. Um, yeah. And we can help also get link people to other supports when, as soon as they see us, we can even link them to peer supports as well. Um, have you noticed any like increases or decreases since COVID in like people gambling? Yeah, definitely. I would say that compared to, um, you know, before the pandemic and and now the number of referrals that we are receiving now has uh, greatly increased. I'm not quite sure about you know the specific statistics and numbers, but I have noticed you know uh, uh, yeah a high number of new referrals coming through. Um, part of me thinks that it could be related that. Uh, with the pandemic, we started to talk more about mental health and seeking help. So that's been more normalized. Like it's okay to to call and get help. Um, but then another part of me is concerned that the gambling harm, you know, it's increasing. And that's also why people are also calling to get help. That's all, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Maria, for joining us today. It was a great pleasure to have you. Live from Cedar College, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, it's a Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Today, my co-hosts that joined me were Tara, Molly, Lara, Elijah, Noah, and Mespa. My name is Hussain Kadua, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm. Live from Cedar College, Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live So...